This is Thought and Leaders. Hello, hello, and welcome again to another Thought and Leaders podcast. As you know, I scour this wonderful, beautiful, exotic, inspirational planet for the most inspirational, intelligent, astute, perceptive speakers out there. The guy that I've got on today is so perceptive. He is so on the ball that... I had to have him back again because I wanted to talk to the one and the only Eddie Obeng. Hello, Eddie. Hi, Jonathan. Hi. Delighted to be here again. Ah, It's it's always, always a privilege to speak to you. Now, for those people in a cave in uh, Beaconsfield or something, just give us a brief elevator pitch. You know how you come across people sometimes and they um, they seem a bit strange? They say things and then about three or four years later, you go, yeah, I remember he said that, but at the time I thought he was crazy. Well, that's me. For about the past 25, 30 years, I've, I've been plowing my own furrow, trying to understand what's actually going on in a fast-changing, complex world. So I've been able to explore. So I've written about how to work in a different changing world. I've built software. I've done teaching and so on. But really, why, one of the things which I'm really keen on is making human beings able to live in what I call the world after midnight. As we're approaching the midnight hour, we do find ourselves in, in a way that nobody has seen, and I do mean nobody has seen this before, in, in a state of flux and change. If you can remember back before COVID, businesses had stopped growing organically. We had financial markets up and down. We had climate change, social unrest and inequality, people's work-life balances. We had all these things all vying for our attention. And then we had lots of people telling us that the machines were going to come along and take all our jobs. And then uh, COVID came along. Enter stage right, (laughs) COVID. So instructs COVID, yeah, and... (laughs) So in comes COVID. And once COVID arrives, we sort of forget about that because suddenly we discover, oh, there are things we could do almost immediately. Oh, my goodness, it's okay. The economy hasn't collapsed. Okay, some people are struggling with their jobs. and There are some ill people. But guess what? There are actually people manufacturing, who are manufacturing ventilators. How, who knew? Shops. Oh, my goodness, the supermarkets run out of toilet rolls. But the other stuff's there. Oh, my goodness, we've not been to the office for a week and we're still functioning. How did that happen? And what we discovered with COVID was that there was so much more and so many different things which we probably could have been doing for the previous 20 or 30 years, but we hadn't bothered trying to. Now, look, the thing is, is that when you find yourself in the poo, (laughs) some people may find themselves three foot in the poo. (laughs) Other people may find themselves one foot in the poo. But however deep one is in the poo, the fact is, is that being human means we are able to adapt. But it doesn't mean that the answer is the correct answer. I mean, we're still in the poo. Oh, I completely agree. We're still in the poo. Make, make it concrete. So the most common thing I heard from C-suite level people was, it's amazing how well this technology has responded to allow us to have our people at home. These people had spent trillions buying computers, buying the software, all these elements. Right. And then they were amazed they worked. You know, they spent 
hundreds of millions training people up so they could be self-directed and they're amazing when they could operate at home you know they made set made sure that they integrated their supply chain but somehow or other we just not done it and i think i know why we didn't do it and it, it's a logical reason why we didn't bother until covid came along and then we said well, we've got to invent something oh we have classically they keep telling us the machines are going to come and take all our jobs and they're getting better and better and stuff like that one of the reasons why it looks so grim for humans is that if you take human beings we're very very strange as creatures we feel like one one human being but people have had the the two halves of their brain split and what they discovered was things like the right hand can draw a tree whilst the left hand draws a motorcycle and if you cover their eyes they don't know what each hand is drawing it tells you that your two brains are like two CPUs, two different units, but somehow they feel like one. Your heart doesn't get a message from your brain every every second saying, beat, beat, beat. It has a little knot of nerves, like its own little processor local to it. So does your diaphragm. So does your digestive system. As a human being, you've got all these processing units, they're all distributed, but somehow you think you're one person. And that one person is you. Yeah. Because two and a half million years ago, or three and a half billion years ago, as we started evolving, chances were you'd end up in a dangerous situation in a forest with a tiger coming at you or something like that, something really bad. The reason we're here is because we didn't just lie down and go, well, I've had a good run, you know, eat me, why not? Yeah. Your ego told you you were worth protecting, you were worth making sure that you survived. story of you, where you'd come from, all the things you've done, the things you are going to do in the future, compelled you to act. So your ego tells this story about you, make sure that you're the hero of the story. That's why when people have low self-esteem, they don't do very well. In order to tell this story, because most of the time you mess up, it plays tricks on you. Yeah. If you've ever bought a car, you know how before you buy the car, the car isn't on the can't be found on the roads. The moment, the day after you buy it, everyone's got one. Have you noticed that? Yeah. Why does that happen? I really have often wondered why that happened. What happens is your brain has this facility where basically decides on something and then it looks for those things. It's called confirmation bias. What happens is the first time you encounter something, it decides on what that thing is. It's called framing. And then after that, it looks for data to just to fill in with what it does. Framing is made up of experiences that we see around us about the information that we've seen. And then we, we put it into a frame and then we take it from there. Excellent. So one trick is this confirmation bias so that you see what you're looking for. But the second trick is even better. It's like writing little patches for a computer. So... If something comes along, say, for example, we're going, uh, I'm Eddie, I'm a really good interviewer, etc. I've done it all my life. And then somebody says, says, does a review, says, your interview is the biggest pile of poo I've ever seen. You know, what happens is you could take that data on board, but you're more likely to rewrite the story with a patch. So you go, that person doesn't know anything. I've done this before. You make up a story. This is another method, mechanism called cognitive dissonance. These are important because they make sure that you as an ego can function. You start functioning as one unit, although you're not biologically one unit, with a single story, although your story doesn't make any sense at all. Now, this is where we, we fall over. We're great machines. 
We've learned how to work together, even though we're all predators and we could always be eating each other. We compete, we collaborate, you know, every now and again, when things go badly, we reboot as a, as a species. We know how to work in hierarchy so the most competent people can lead and so on. As you said, framing, the way it's framed tells you what's going to do. We run lots and lots of what I'll call irrelevant subroutines. I'll give you a funny one. Religion. We all have different religions. We get on a bus. You believe in one thing. I believe in another thing. Does the bus take us all to the same place? Yes. Has no impact. What we believe in our subroutines has no impact on reality. So you're saying that irrespective of your faith, and in fact, separate to the faith, the bus is still going to get to that destination. Excellent. But what about people who would say that there could be divine intervention that would make sure that the bus takes you somewhere that you never even expected? It's a miracle. In fact, I give you, Mr. Obang, COVID. No one expected COVID, but but some people, not me, but some people may say that was divine intervention. It it may well be divine intervention. That's their subroutine. Someone else will say it's the Chinese lab. That's their subroutine. Someone else says it doesn't exist. It's all part of some conspiracy theory. That's their subroutine. And they all have their own little subroutines. Eddie, that's all based on their own individual framework. Correct. Exactly. And if you get this thing, you will start to suffer your uh, your respiratory failure and you will die. In other words, your belief didn't affect the reality which underpins it. When the wind blows, all our hair ruffles. When we come to share information between each other, we do it like you and I are doing, at the speed of speech, which even if you talk really fast, about 200 words per minute. We can't go any faster than that. Or we write stuff, which is even slower. Or in the old days, we'd carry clay tablets from place to place. So you're saying, hallelujah, we've now got AI that can do it faster. Is that what you're going to get to? <laughs> I'm saying, I'm saying, drat, you've got AI which can do it faster. How do we beat the bejesus out of the AI? That's what I'm saying. to upgrade human beings is an absolute nightmare i'm a teacher honestly it's really hard because of that ego thing because every time you try and do an upgrade you upset the ego story yes it is hard but eddie that's part of the beautiful thing about being human you're not honestly advocating a binary answer to everything which is like let's just forget about the the human aspect of it you're making us think like a machine Jonathan, you have just demonstrated in the last two sentences total cognitive dissonance. <laughs> and and a touch of psychotic and a touch of psychotic de- denial. <laughs> so remember I commented on all the different challenges which we seem to have that from climate change to businesses, we've not been able to resolve them. It's really, really hard to resolve them working the way we do with the limitations we have. And so what happened even before COVID was other people seeking to make money knew that we had these limitations. They looked at the computery bits, okay? And remember, they were looking at a world which was starting to speed up 
where the old things which made us human, where you understood what the culture was, we knew how to make a cup of tea. In other words, our pace of learning was greater than the pace of change in the world. So our structure, all the things I've described, our 10 petabytes and so on, were real assets. Over the past 15, 20 years, we've put computers in the world, we've networked the world, we've made it global. So the pace of change is much faster than our ability to learn. And so people looked at that and went, that machine we had, the human machine, this new environment, I reckon we can make some money, or I reckon we can build a new process, or I reckon we can actually replace the human beings, and here's how. We've got these things called machines, okay? They can store petabytes easily without breaking into a sweat, okay? They can process stuff. They don't mind having complex architectures for sharing information, Think about this architecture which you use for developing machine learning. Data transfers the speed of light or even pretty damn close, not the speed of uh, speech. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The network is not ego-centered. Mm-hmm. So you can send the data backwards and forwards. When you email somebody, their computer doesn't go, oh, I, don't like the, I don't like the grammar in that email, I'm sending it back. You know, they, it doesn't do that. It just accepts everything. And they're easy to upgrade. Mm before COVID. The language was the AI and robots are coming, they're coming to take your job. And the reality is only if we decide that. Right. uh, Yeah, I'm with it. Yeah. There are two strategies you can use as human beings. Strategy number one, let's put money and energy into these machines, into these networks, into these technologies in order to allow them to replace us. The second strategy is one which I advocate and I've been talking about for years, which is how do you get the machines to enhance us? I'll tell you a story. There's a a lady who runs tourism for the Faroe Islands. During lockdown, the Faroe Islands, they've been pretty innovative, but what they'd done a few years before was they'd realized that they were getting too many visitors. People wanted to see their beautiful islands. So what they did was they strapped a webcam to the back of a sheep and the sheep went around the island and you could watch it on your machine. And they got millions of hits of people watching Sheep Cam, okay, which is great fun. But it also meant people wanted to go there and stuff like that. So when the lockdown came along, they created remote tourism or human cam. What they did was they basically got the inhabitants, the local inhabitants, to wear a helmet with a webcam and have an earpiece. And you could guide them around the island. You could basically remote control them. You could say, Hi, let's have a look there. What does that fjord look like? Walk forward, jump, etc." It's wonderful that you have these cams and you can control them, and it's a bit like being in a game. But that thing about being in a game has two very bad drawbacks. The first drawback is I want to take you back to the Gulf War. Technology meant that people, for the first time in America somewhere, could sit in some hut and they could throw a bomb at people in the Middle East. What they found from a psychological point of view is that they became increasingly detached It became like a game. We are deluding ourselves into a world where everything is so detached. It's just a game. We are not there. And that, to me, is very worrying, not for you or for me, but for our grandchildren, because what kind of a matrix world is it that we're going to? I'm not advocating that we turn life into a game. That's really important. That's number one. Number two... I'm actually arguing against using AI on its own. I'm arguing against having strategies to use robots 
and develop technologies which allow people to do what they were going to do, but more effectively or better or safer. That's what I'm arguing for. And the third is, there are many ways of using technology. You're right about the remote control of drones, but the remote control of drones is not an immersive experience. It's taking away, and it's taking away smell, touch, interaction. <laughs> I've not taken any of those things away. <laughs> no, it's not taking... You've just done the cognitive dissonance thing on me again. I know that you're a professor. I'm going to pull rank on you because my last book was brand psychology. I know. I know. So I'm pulling rank on you on this one, and I'm going to say that you are de- demonstrating cognitive dissonance. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, let, let's take it that we've both got egos, and that's what's making this discussion work. Because without egos, we wouldn't bother. If we were thinking together, if we really yeah. collaborated by thinking together, we'd be building on each other. You're just demonst- We're demonstrating exactly what I was describing. Right. So the thing is not to do an either-or. Right. It's always an and. Remember, if, if you want humans to thrive into the 21st century, as you were describing, mm. it's always an and. It's not an either-or. Mm. One of the funniest things about the either-or arguments is people say, well, you know, this job is quite basic and, and boring. Let's replace it with a robot. Mm. I wrote a paper once where I took the systems which you use for driving a self-driving car, you know, LiDAR, mm. short, long radar. Mm. And then I took a CEO's job, typical chief executive's job. And I said, what's a chief, typical chief executive's job? Look into the future, see what the current business things are, provide some leadership, et cetera. And there are about five of them. Yeah. And actually the easiest job to automate would be a CEO's job and it would be the most profitable because we pay them a lot of money. Really? And they, yeah, we think about it. How many deals can a CEO assess at one time compared to a computer? Mm. Stop and think about it. Mm. I'm not advocating an awe. I'm advocating a how would you use technology to make that CEO much more effective? Thanks to machine learning and so on and so forth, we can make sure that the algorithm can do can process more deals more effectively, more efficiently than than a CEO, and that is working on 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 uh, behalf of the CEO. So it's working for the better for the company. Well, I, now hold on, do you agree that it is working for the better of the company? It's a great thing, isn't it? Not necessarily. So you don't think that having an efficient algorithm that is serving you, not we're not serving it. It depends on whether it is serving us or not. It is serving us. Do you not think that that is a good thing? It's more efficient, isn't it? Yes. There's been with the algorithm which they used for reassessing the kids. How on earth could they have created that algorithm? They would have used, if they had enough past data, they could have used the past data to try to work out what actually happened. Now, I'm not sure in the past whether they have ever collected what teachers think students are going to get in their exams in a systematic way. So I'm not sure there was actually any data for the machine to learn from. Hey, it's supposed to be serving us, isn't it? I would be amazed if they had, say, a decade's worth of full data from all the teachers or a significant proportion of teachers, which was both what the teachers anticipated people would get in their exams, 
versus what they actually got. I would be amazed because who would spend money collecting that data? Why would you be doing it? But some boffin, right, at the bottom of his garden or her garden said, ah, this year for 2020, we're going to make sure that the algorithms are going to sort it out. So don't worry about anything. So you're saying that the people at the top went ahead without enough data. You're going down the route of assuming that AI is where I'm heading. And I'm actually heading in a completely different direction. What do we need to do as human beings so we can start to network our brains? Thank you. Thank you. Because therefore, therefore, we are at a situation that we're going to get humans who are going to be saying for whatever the situation is, in this case, it's been about education, but it could be a, a, for, for another purpose. But the, the humans are going to say, look, don't worry, we can get the algorithms to sort this out. We can get the robots to sort it out to serve us. The problem with all of this, Eddie, is that the people who are programming the robots or the algorithm or whatever it might be, they're defected. Let me first go back to the big problems we had. Yeah. For example, were inequality. Okay. So let's use that as an example because that gives us a good yeah. insight into how we need to rethink so we can think together. Really important. Yeah. Total full disclosure. Go on then. Um, my dad died when I was nine months old. I was brought up by my mother. My mother's very smart. She was like the first woman with a doctorate in her field. Uh, when she went to work, I grew up on tales of, you know, jealous men who were struggling to climb up the greasy pole and then had to contend with this brilliant woman. So when people say inequality, I get it. I've seen it. I was brought up in it. Absolutely. Uh, I was born in Africa. And then I went to a British public school and I became black. I had, who knew? I didn't know that was such a thing. Right. Okay. And what has happened, what happened was I got from one context to another. Right. For the framing of the people who I met, the framing of the people. Remember I told you the human beings, the design is pretty rubbish. Unless you understand it, you can't make it work faster. The framing of the people gave them a word and it gave them all sorts of stories of what I should be. That's interesting. Yeah, yeah. And so then I was playing into the confirmation bias, you know, the car thing we described. And when I didn't conform, then it was cognitive dissonance. So... So what had happened was they didn't know they'd been framed. We, we never notice it. Yeah. And they didn't know that they were going through confirmation bias and cognitive dissonance. That was fascinating. That's one thing which is great. But you see, I loved the experience of being a minority, a mega minority. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. my mum was one in two mm. being a woman. You know, I was like one in a thousand. It was fantastic because I got to be a pioneer. I could literally do whatever the hell I wanted. And I didn't have to focus on what other people interpreted because I knew they were not seeing reality. They were running funny subroutines. Yeah, yeah. So that's one element. The second thing we have to understand is when we come together to work, what happens is our egos are so busy telling these stories. Now, you talked about AI and remote stuff. Now, we mentioned the word immersive. Now, one of the things which happened to me was my first VR experience. Mm. What really made the difference for me was not experiencing the game, no big deal. It was taking the helmet off and realizing I'd forgotten that I was in the real world. Beautiful. What that told me was if you could create the right experience, people would forget about their daily bits and become humanly completely, apart from the sense of smell and touch and all the rest of it, engaged with other people. And if you did it really well, they could do it without their egos getting in the way. I get that, yeah. 
in the game I played, we went on some quest and adventure. And I, I worked with lots of people I'd never met on this quest, and we, we managed to do it. So there's something about getting past the the ego by using technology, which then allows people to communicate at the speed of thought, which is pretty close to the speed of light. Mm. So now we're starting to become close to the machines. And now we're in a position where we can start to think about the machines starting to help Mm. us. In terms of upgrades, again, as human beings, they tell us, you know, you go to school, you learn, you pass your exams, you never have to learn again. You mentioned the exams it's been quite obvious that the whole concept of examining people at certain fixed points has been broken for maybe 20 years. Wow. I mean, for me, when I, when I was at school and they gave us calculators, from that point on, we knew it was all broken. I think there was a Hewlett-Packard, which did all our sine curves and waves and things like that. Broken. I remember. I remember. Yeah. And we've carried yeah. on. The element which I go back to over and over again and which I focus my whole uh, life and work on is – we carry on doing things which we recognize and understand, even if they don't exist. It has done, and that was what I said at the beginning. It suddenly pointed out to us that, hang on. Yeah. You know, you bought all these computers, you can use them. You've trained all these people, you can use them. Work-life balance, people can have, be at home with their families and have a good life. They don't have to sit on a train. You know. So we discovered all these things which had already existed for ages. So my view is that we need to really work very hard on understanding how we we overcome some of these crazy things yeah. which we do, how we work together. I mean, I, I always talk about the J-curve when people are talking about productivity and inclusion, which is one of the big challenges most companies have at the moment. You must have friends you went to school with. When you go out for them with them for an evening, it's really easy. You barely need to talk. Everyone knows their role. You just get on and have a great time. One of your friends says, next time I'm bringing one of, I don't know, my other half, my kid, whatever it is. Everyone groans. Why? Mm. You're, you're going to be disrupted. It's not that you hate the other person. It's just you're going to be disrupted. Yeah, 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 yeah. And so the other person comes along and you make them a gooseberry, you know. So now if there are five of you, now there's six of you, but only five of you are contributing badly. No. And in most situations, in most organizations, we add ideas, we add difference, we add in, uh, inclusion. And the main blob of people don't shift what they're doing. They just ignore the productivity and the inputs and the insights from the others. So overall, everything dips. Yeah, yeah. And if you're really lucky, you get to a low point where somebody says, actually, let's rebuild and make a new story with all these other people. Mm. And you set a whole new set of ground rules. You work out how to work together, how to listen together. And then everything skyrockets because mm. you've got much better, diverse, inclusive, and, and wise team. I get it, and I understand how, as a group, once we embrace all this stuff, we can actually get more out of it. From a human point of view, I understand your argument for all of us uh, openly wanting to live in the world of Jumanji. I I get it. (laughs) But the only problem I have, well, there's a couple, I'm sorry, Eddie, but I've still got a couple of problems with it. Yes. In about 20, 30 years' time, yeah, mm-hmm. when this is so much second nature... What is? ...of us uh, using... I'm hoping we never get there. 
But I know what, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna take the other route. I'm gonna take the other route and I'm gonna say virtual reality, all sharing and all contributing in this virtual world. I I'm gonna go for that, all right? Okay. What worries me from a um a, a political, social, cultural point of view you will get to the point that if we're going to accept this because we're going to embrace it for the good reasons for the good reasons that if you don't capitulate (laughs) you say no i wish to remain a luddite at which point socially you will be looked down upon so where if you say i don't want to accept this sort of idea i don't want when they give me the vaccination for covid that they will give me that they will also put a chip in me. They tell me it's there for my benefit, but I, I don't, I don't want to do that. Well, if you don't do that, you're not going to get all the benefits of of our brave new world. <laughs> and you know, you'll be the one who's be slowing it down for the rest of us. <laughs> <laughs> you need no. a cognitive dissonance thing again. So. I'm sure you have a car. I'm sure at home you've got a fridge. Uh, I suspect, yeah. yeah. But nobody forced you into having a fridge. But no one's going to force you into doing this. But if you don't do it, you'll be a bit bit of a social pariah, won't you? Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, so let me tell you, let me just give you two, two stories. You have a phone, you phone your family and friends, you talk to them. Great. So I have a phone. I phone my family friends and talk to them. Great. Then WhatsApp did an amazing marketing campaign where for about three months, everyone I spoke to would say to me, aren't you on WhatsApp? You're not on WhatsApp. You should be on WhatsApp. And they would use exactly the same words. It's so convenient. It's so easy to use. They'd use the same words in the same sequence. Now, having done your brand real brand yeah. book yeah. you know these have yeah. been have been hypnotized they're just repeating a story conditioning conditioning yeah i went i'm not gonna get whatsapp so i don't have whatsapp right so i'm a pariah you are i'm a pariah well, yeah right and i choose to be a pariah so i'm quite happy being a pariah there's nothing wrong with that and um I think we have to be really careful about the technologies we talk about right so let's enhance people not replace them if that's your mindset, as you build a machine learning system, you ask yourself, how do we enhance the lives of the children who are going to have their exams developed? And the answer might not be give them grades. The answer might be, let them carry on to work. Right. When they go for a job, let the employer yeah. let the employer get access to this database about them. And this database will serve up so that they can understand what this person is like and what they value, so that, and what they've done and what they've understood. Let's forget about giving them a specific grade. That would be enhancing the lives of the kids. Right. Whereas, let's replace the exams by making the algorithm, quotes, um, work out some new numbers. That is the exact opposite of what I'm talking about. The skin which you describe, which can feel and touch. Great. Are there jobs and roles where touch is really crucial? I don't know, being a surgeon. Mm. There are roles, and, you know, a human being can do it. God gave us skin with senses and all the rest of it. And you're now saying, is there a role that a a machine can do this sort of idea? Really? Is there a role where the touch is really important? So, for example, surgeons who who are going to operate on you worry about the injury they might do to you. So is there a way for this touch skin to be placed on top of a human skin so when the surgeon's busy cutting you, he can work out how to cut through without cutting through any of your nerves? But I agree. 
The problem we have is there is a narrative out there that the machines are coming, the machines are better. And this has been going on for about 15, 20 years, getting louder. People have spent trillions on yeah. trying to build these robots. So it's in their interest that we all lose our own jobs. Right. But it's not necessary. It's not inevitable. Right. And it's really a mindset shift. So that you're saying that the answer is to adapt and not just survive, but it's through adaptation that we all, as people, can thrive. Is that what you're saying? Through making sure the things we invent allow us to adapt rather than the things we invent replace what we do. Yeah, but power in the wrong hands is still power in the wrong hands, and that's when the problem starts, isn't it? Yeah, but it's ever been thus for millions of years. The power is always in the wrong hands. So true, so true. What you have to understand is these things are all what we call dynamically stable. Mm. So you have a dictatorship, 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 then it gets broken, and then there's lots of innovation and energy and then that coalesces and then it forms the theater. So that it always goes back. That's why it's dynamically stable. Mm. It moves around that loop. At the moment, what we have is we have a huge block of people trying to rush back to the past. They talk about getting back to normal. If that happens, then we pick up all the stories about the AI robots. Uh, and within five years or so, the machines will be doing the bulk of their jobs and misery. Okay. I think it's very difficult. Uh, to be on holiday every day for most people. It seems to be people who don't have purpose or goals tend to die sooner. Apparently, that's the science. The second thing which might happen is that we end up so partially locked. So this lockdown comes and goes and comes and goes and comes and goes. So people don't go back to the old normal, but they never bother to actually go beyond just Zooming each other eight hours a day. Right. Because in between, it's interspersed with semi-old normal. But the other thing which might happen is what I call the accidental rut. So everyone who's using different ways of behaving, even at home, working together, playing with the kids, going out and doing exercise, etc. That's just a transition point. That's not the the end of the story. The way I describe is where we are now is the cocoon, not the butterfly. But most people in business think the cocoon is the butterfly. They think Zoom and Teams are where they're heading. They think where we are now is the end goal. There's another route, which is actually saying, okay, let's try to imagine what this crazy Eddie chap is saying, okay? What would that mean? What would it mean if instead of using the machinery and the equipment and the technology to replace us, we used it to enhance us? Okay. Well, you'd start off, if you were a business, you'd start off looking at your people probably and seeing what you could do to help them. When we move from a physical office to a, a virtual office, all the youngsters in our organization literally moved away from the southeast of the UK because for the same money, they could have a much better life. And that was great for everyone. Mm. Okay. So what you discover is things like the cost base of the organization goes down. Therefore, you can actually share more out. You discover things like the wasted work, you know, the frustration of doing stuff and answering emails, etc. All that stuff disappears. So you know people are happier and they're more motivated. You discover things like the hours are less important. So people can take their kids to school and then come back, you know, walk them to school and come back. They can go for a run in the middle of the day without disrupting anyone else. Mm. You can get more agency as an individual. There was a post Twitter post where somebody said, everyone's so happy about virtual. What do you think when 7 billion people are competing for your job? And I, I just made me laugh. Right. Because I went, well, yeah, they're competing for your job. And guess what? 
you're competing for 7 billion other jobs. Because all of a sudden, where your body is and where you get your income-allowing choice are no longer connected. You can work anywhere in the world. We start to sort out climate change. 20% of the energy we burn is for moving stuff around. We don't have to do that anymore. So that can go away. Um, we can start to resolve that easily. Um, plastic use. One of the reasons we use plastics and all plastics are single plastics is because we're moving the human beings to random weird places. Coffee bars, then offices, then shops to take things back home. So all of that doesn't make any sense. We will move for where we need to move to rather than moving the machine materials around in a plastic wrapping. And if it's work, we'll move the work to the people, not the people to the work. If we can get into people's heads to understand the framing they've got of each other, it's just a frame. Attitudes people have can be hundreds of years old. Lots of the stuff from the uh, British Empire still persists. In China, when they had the one-child policy, everyone wanted boys because boys used to work more on the farms. But they weren't in farms anymore. They were in cities, but they still wanted boys. Crazy people. So all those bits can be dealt with. So park climate change, some of the things we can also start to deal with, supporting each other in terms of growth and learning and health. I agree. We are a species that has always learned to adapt and then to thrive and using whichever technology, whether it's going to be an axe or a wooden club or whatever it might be, to serve us. So I get all that stuff. However, one of the things you said was people were moving away from the southeast, which is expensive. They were able to use this technology. We did that four years ago. Yeah, but that's fine. From a, a psychological point of view, someone could come to the to, to the conclusion, look, this is such fantastic stuff. I feel closer to my community. I'm doing more. I'm achieving more. I'm being more cost effective with time. I'm saving money by going uh, from going on the train and goes on and on and on. All of this stuff is enabling me to a point and enabling the world, no less, to go towards a better direction. But you see, the thing is, is that what else am I going to give up? in order to further immerse myself into this artificial world. And you talk about coffee shops. You're right about the packaging in the coffee shops. But the thing is, is that by not traveling into work, you are literally taking away someone's ability to earn money for their family. I'm talking about the guy who owns a coffee shop. That, that's a very, very real question. Uh, and and Absolutely. And it's one of those challenges which you have when you improve things. So, for example, the people who made the lead, which went into lead, uh, leaded petrol, I think they probably lost their jobs. In order to fix something, something else sometimes breaks. The question is, what do you do about the person running the coffee shop? Now, traditionally, with our current politics, they would decide whether they were good voters, whether they were a block or not. If they're not a block, then you just let them suffer. If they are a good voting block, then you put out a, a, a deal to help the coffee shop help witness, etc. We can do better than that. So because we can think better together. Yeah. So so I, I think the again it's the beware of the it's the either or thing. And what we have to always be doing is doing the and bit. What else could we do? So what I suspect that a coffee shop owner, not having many people coming into London, would, if they were creative, think about other ways of earning a living, which won't necessarily just be about coffee. It might be about providing a local place for local people, not office workers. I love this idea of and. And what do we do about the coffee shop owner? And what do we do about him or her or them or it? And I think 
that this world of yours where we can collaborate and we can communicate, it's about the message that you are sharing through the medium. Exactly. It's the, it's the message of how we then behave and feel and, and think. The reality is whatever world we create, there will still be crime. So don't forget that. There will still be illness. We'll still have to figure out how we're going to share this planet with all the other inhabitants. Issues will still be there. My guess is, even if the quote mainstream, normal people don't use this, my guess is any decent criminal has already figured out how to make their criminal operation far more effective by using these technologies <laughs> to enhance their yeah. people. They're always there first. Yeah. We've seen that throughout the growth of the internet. And we sit there, and as I said, responding rationally to a world we recognize and not moving on. Beautiful. That is absolutely beautiful. Once again, fantastic inspiration from Eddie. And I think that what I've taken out of this is I'm going to go back to that word. I said it's such a simple word, three letters. And. Yes. And what could we do? Exactly. And. Yes. And so with that thought, and with that thought, I say thank you very much, Eddie. Thank you, Jonathan. It's my pleasure. And, well, I'm going to leave it with just and. got an opinion on this show perhaps you would like to share your own story with the world you can dm us or contact reinvent at me.com if you're looking for award-winning world-class content strategy that builds your brand once again simply email reinvent at me.com that's reinvent at me.com